Dear Jim, ever since I can remember, I've always wanted to be a singer, but shyness has always got in the way. Please, could you fix it for me to sing? Yours sincerely, Debbie Coleman. Here's somebody to help her who also has a problem with being shy, Gary Glitter. A few of your texts coming in here um, this morning, uh, an alternative view on the uh, Jimmy Savile story. Um, this texture says, I wish everyone would stop criticising Jimmy Savile. He was a nice man. When I was eight, he fixed it for me to milk a cow blindfolded. That's a strange one. Mm. I'm feared in every girls' school in this country. Come here. Turn round, look at the ladies and gentlemen. I see this young lady, sir. She okay. wishes that she could help you with one of your paintings. Good idea. Do you think I may leave her in your charge? Safely leave her in my capable hands here. Right. Right, I'll just I'll roll my sleeves up in case I get. How are we? That was very echoey. Sorry, was it? Yeah, maybe it's because I've got headphones in. That might be the reason. Ah, right. Okay, so um, what should we do? What should we start with tonight? Should we just get straight into the pod? Um, no. Actually, I think we should say something about this um, being our first podcast of the year. And sorry we've been away for so long. Uh, I know it's only been about a month or a bit. A month and a bit but uh, it is longer than normal that we have been away but uh, yeah, we start with we start with season three with this podcast this is the first episode of season three uh, now it's not my choice to call them seasons that is the choice of the podcast provider and I did have to correct my son the other day who used the word season in relation to Grange Hill and I had to oh tell him God. no they are series they're not seasons Hello, Dave. You there? The, um, I'm here. I'm here. Can you hear me? I completely concur, Lee. Uh, I've uh, suffered. Uh, I've suffered the slings and arrows of outrage, outrageous Americanism uh, in this household. Uh, my son's got into the habit of calling everything season this and season that, thanks to Netflix mm. and what have you. And um, yeah, I am a good old school. Brit and I believe in the idea of calling things series. Yeah. This is series three. It is series three. So it's our third year Indeed. in the world of podcasting. Um, we are just one of six billion podcasts, it seems. It's very difficult to get noticed in the sea so, of podcasts. It's just celebrities take over, don't they? It's like bastards. any sort of well known uh, celebrity. Yeah. does a podcast these days and it gets promoted to hell it gets sponsorship and i was amazed you know some of the numbers that they get i mean there was one comedian that i can't remember his name now he does one with his wife oh, can't like stand a geordie him. guy yeah I'm not, he's a prick i'm not criticizing <laughs> i've never listened to it but uh, he's always appearing on things like catchphrase and shit like that and uh yeah he gets 35 million listeners yeah his name's Chris. Is it Chris something? Chris, yeah, it sounds familiar, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah but we're, Chris, we're not bitter. not funny tool head with <laughs> fucking sperm hair and, you know, been on Strictly and was shit. 
you know, there's so many third-rate stand-ups, aren't there? You know, mm. I just get on my fucking wick. They really do. Yeah, I don't begrudge someone like Bill Bailey, you know, doing so oh, well no. on Strictly this year because he deserved it on merit as well because he was brilliant. But also, he's been brilliant for years. He's a, he's a fantastically talented guy. But yeah. these third-rate, shitty little confident comics who make it because they can tell a bit, bit of a joke every now and again. They're not even any good. You know, yeah. it's this gullible general public buying into these wankers. But they never seem to get, um, you know, the careers never seem to be doing comedy, do they? They always seem to be radio hosts for Capital Radio or Kiss FM. Exactly. For me, I wouldn't even dream of listening to any podcasts by these people. I really get some tits. I only listen to podcasts by keen, you know, enthusiastic interested people like ourselves in the subjects that they discuss you know anyone who might listen to this listen to those you know kind of podcasts don't listen to the obvious ones don't listen to the mainstream shit no it's don't not worth it it's crap podcast. no exactly listen to a, a supporters if you go down the path of like listening to mainstream podcasts there might be one or two that are really good but there's so many other ones by people who are deeply interested in the subjects that they they cover that are miles better miles better and yeah, we've named that's a few what i mean them. it's just it just becomes another arm of publicity for a lot of people doesn't it it's of course just it does but even like the super big ones i mean the ones who are kind of you know like your joe rogan's and your mark marons of this world they've only really become big names because of their podcasts especially mark maron mm. he's an actor and he's been in joker and He's got that show on Netflix about the women wrestlers, hasn't he? But and he's a pretty yeah. good actor, and, a, and he was a stand-up comic. But his podcast is great because he interviews so many really interesting people, especially from the film business. He's got a fantastic podcast where he interviews um, William Friedkin, for example. Yeah, and that's a great listen. If if anyone hasn't heard that, you know, have a listen to that. That's fantastic. Obviously, Joe Rogan does the same. Does very interesting long interviews. That's a great format for podcasting. But these ones, these frivolous, shitty little ones about some f- farty third-rate stand-up comic and his, and his missus and, you know, and what they get up to during the week. It's so, f- oh, my God. It's so meek and pathetic and gaudy and chintzy and, path- oh, fuck off. You know, <laughs> I want to, you know, let's get to the, to the meat and veg of things. I think... We're quite happy of our place in the podcasting world as being quite eclectic and uh, oh, eclectic, esoteric, you know, those E-words. Yeah, exactly. We can just let rip with our opinions. A lot of these mainstream podcasts, they, they can't really. They, they're, they're very polite. You know, yeah. They're all, they're all smooth around the edges. You know, who wants that? Who wants right. that? Exactly. Well, tonight we, we certainly can't be very smooth around the edges. We are talking about quite a dark, controversial subject, yeah. which I was thinking before, you know, are we really going to be able to get many laughs out of this? Because obviously, our... well. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you going off that. past performance, we tend to be able to find some laughs in even the darkest of subjects. And I hope yeah, people okay. will not be offended by anything we say tonight. But, you know, as usual, we're, we're not planned. We're not scripted we've not really thought that much about what we're going to talk about we tend to just say let's talk about this hey listeners get on with it do you know what it is yet listeners yeah (laughs) Uh, excellent clue there yeah so uh, 
We are going to be talking about the quite horrific and shocking scandal of Operation U-Tree and the associated operation that uh, were undertaken about eight, eight, nine years ago when many high-profile celebrities, mostly from the 70s and our childhood, were arrested on sex, sexual abuse charges and many faced prosecutions. Some were found guilty, some were not, some were arrested, but charges weren't dropped at a later stage. But to me, Dave, it was a fucking amazing time. I don't mean like exciting time, but it, and it was in a way. It oh, was yeah. like every time you put the news on, somebody else would be arrested. It was amazing. It exposed the dark underbelly of British society. Because we weren't just talking, of, of course, about the the celebrities and the showbiz types that we knew as kids. And, you know, a lot of people said, oh, my childhood's been changed forever and ruined because, you know, I thought Rolf Harris was wonderful and Jimmy Savile, I wrote to him so many times. But the reality was that, as we got older, we looked at a few of these characters and we probably thought, a bit weird then, weren't they? You know, a bit, bit true, weird. Yeah. Yeah, especially Savile. And and Harris was, you know, you'd kind of think, a bit odd. But, you know, it's these other characters, the the political classes, you know, people that came out of the woodwork, uh, Cyril Smith, for example, you know, the things that came out about him, uh, Clement Freud, who had also been a politician, a liberal politician, for many years, yeah. don't forget. Well, they were both, weren't they? That was they both were. The liberal. You know, I mean, I know that Clement Floyd became quite a sort of well-known TV... I forgot about him, actually. Did he get prosecuted? And My... Or was he dead? Oh, that's a very good question. Well, I think a lot of it... Very old, weren't they? Yeah, I think it all came out after he died, didn't it? I think it all came out after he passed away. But um, obviously, the, the start of it, Really, uh, you can trace it back to glitter, can't you? I think that was the that was really the start, yeah. not of Operation U Tree, but the start of the collapse of the the showbiz side of what is really a, a sort of long litany of paedophilic behaviour. Really, a bunch of nonces. Let's be yeah. honest, that's what yeah. they were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. I mean. Um... Glitter famously got arrested. I think it was in the nineties, wasn't it? For after he took his PC into PC World, yeah, and uh, to get fixed, and they found uh, loads of paedophilic porn images on there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think he was subsequently done for actual abuse against a couple of kids, if I remember correctly. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. But again, you know, it was well known with Glitter. I mean, I know, you know, my brother, he was in. The Glitter Band, which uh, was not, was you know, Glitter. Gary Glitter had this band when he was in the 70s called the Glitter Band, and they had their own success after Glitter left. And uh, Gav was in, like, uh, one version of the Glitter Band in the 90s, I think it was, and uh, yeah. it was uh, headed up by John Russell, who I think was a sax player. He tried to get Glitter done, you know, years before, and yeah. uh, he knew about what glitter was up to but he Absolutely. was so arrogant he was so well established that i just don't think anyone ever took it seriously you know i think it's perfectly right to say that john russell had, had said many times in the you know that glitter was a rumen that he was yeah. a wrong gun. and what's interesting about that there was many people who said things behind the scenes many things were said about many different people and not much was done about it very little was done about it for a long long time 
they got away with it. If you were a celebrity, listen, I've heard a lot of things recently about David Bowie. I mean, David Bowie's a really big hero of mine, but in the 70s, it's thought that mm. he may have slept with a couple of girls that were underage. Now, he may not have known about it because they presented themselves as groupies after gigs. And there's one quite famous case of that with Bowie. So there was some ambiguity, I think, there, because there was a lot of... There was a lot of young people, a lot of young women who were going after pop stars. That's always been, that's been a thing that's happened for a long time, hasn't it? Well, you yeah. Know. After the old Operation U Tree and they did the celebrities, you thought the music industry was going to be next, but nothing much um, came of that. I think there'd be loads of allegations coming out, you know, against, and I'm not trying to <coughs> slander anybody here, but there's been rumours about the Stones and... Indeed. Kings of Leon actually was uh, was mentioned to me by somebody about... Kings of Leon? That's no, of... I don't know if there's any credence to those allegations at all, but I just remember somebody saying, and <clears> you know, <throat> mentioning them particularly. Now, God knows, and I'm sorry if, the, if that is completely wrong, but... I, um, I'm sure that it's been, there's been an enormous number of incidents that have, you know, they just have not, they just haven't been... On the radar, on the police radar, because they they they're, they're unsubstantiable, unsubstantiated. They can't they can't press charges because they just don't have enough evidence. No, you know, maybe it's anecdotal, but let's be honest. I think we all know it went on, and I think a lot of that will have just been swept under the carpet or pushed to one side because, like the Bowie claim that I heard, it doesn't sound to me like he wasn't. For in any way, shape, or form, courting or pursuing this person, this person was pursuing him. If you like, mm-hmm. the day the problem comes, of course, and and you know, I'm not saying it's not a problem. Of course, it's a problem. You know, you should, you know, there should be every person of a certain age should be finding out and making damn sure that the person that they're having any kind of intimacy uh, with is of legal age for god's sake yeah i but mean why risk it i mean why risk it of course why risk it and why don't get me wrong there's been instances and cases of people you know i'm going to be pretty controversial here i'm not going to be controversial because it's the truth elvis presley went yeah. out deliberately and dated young girls there's no doubt about it priscilla presley was 15 or something 14 mm. when he met her that was kind of common in the south jerry Lee lewis married a girl who was like 14 it was almost like the dumb thing in, yeah. in these what people about from Bill Wyman as well. I mean, I, I mean, and Bill Wyman, come on, she was like was 13. Mandy Smith when she was 13. I don't I mean, know, that's if just, having sex, but I mean, that is just how old was he then? Oh, neither. He was like in his 50s, wasn't he? What's Dirty bastard. If that's him, he's a pedo. <laughs> <laughs> well, he is. He is. I'm going to say it. I'm going to slander myself. But you know, do you remember when take that was me to court, court, Bill? Dave. You're a pedo. When that was reported, probably in the early 90s, I think it was, it, it was never really reported like a massive scandal, was it? It was, it was different... like frowned upon. Of it wasn't like accusing him of a pedo and calling for his head and getting him prosecuted. And these uh, people like Glitter, certainly at the start of the 90s, I mean, he, he got done in the 90s, didn't he, for, for his crimes? But it was different with, with Glitter because in, or perceived differently because he did have images and he's a very young very young children yeah but it, that 90s atmosphere that be, that behavior in the 90s let's be bloody honest about it 
it was the whole kind of FHM loaded, loaded magazine. Chris Evans, TS. It was all, yeah, great. Everything's loose and free and easy. We all can do what we want and everyone, you know, and have a lot of fun. It's all great. And it was very much of a laddish kind of, hey, yeah, get in there, enjoy yourself culture. And it was a kind of rock and roll culture that was very much the vogue, you know, what wasn't it? To be a bit of a pop, you'd be a pop star, rock star, uh, indie star. And, oh, you know, yeah, and the girls will swoon over me. And, it's, and, you know, and we'll get, we'll make sure that we do the top 100 girls every year. And they're all like these young, bloody, fresh out of bloody sixth form girls, like bloody mm-hmm. Louise Redknapp, whatever her Billy name was. Piper. Yeah, Bi- Billy Piper. It was like 15 when she was a pop star and like 17 when she was dating Chris Evans, for God's sake. So the likes of like Bill Wyman and whoever else that were dating people who were very young, they didn't give a shit. They never thought for one minute they were going to get into any trouble. And I bet you that was a time when Savile just thought, well, I, no one's going to get me. No one's ever going to get me now. I've, yeah. I've, I've, I've got, it's probably I've, late 80s, wasn't it, Bill Wyman, if I remember correctly. I said the 90s, but I'm thinking it might have been a bit earlier. I think things really started to change when, the, obviously, the glitter thing happened, but then the Jonathan King thing happened. Yeah. Because the, the Jonathan th- thing, King th- it started off looking like there was some ambiguity there because of the boys um, go- going back to his, his apartment and all this, the boys that he said. But... There was definitely the air of predatory behaviour, wasn't there, with King? Mm. And this is what um, the media started picking up on, the predatory nature. And I think it's the predatory nature of people like King, Glitter, then obviously Savile, what have you, the predatory nature and the controlling nature that became the, the buzzword, really. And it's yeah. become the kind of buzzword of the of the uh, Me Too movement, hasn't it? You know, that's really gone into yeah. the United States. So what happened here has gone across the pond, hasn't it? Because mm-hmm. it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of like this this virus, if you pardon the expression, that's come out from people in the media and people in the spotlight for their nefarious sexual activities. It started, obviously, with Savile. I mean... Let's take it back to the beginning. It was it was after Savile's death, a few weeks after. Yeah, yeah. He died in October 2011. And obviously, yeah. there was always rumours whilst he was alive. But when he died, Newsnight were going to run a story on, uh, you know, an investigation that had took place by the police in 2009 when Savile was actually interviewed about allegations that he was abusing girls underage girls at uh, Duncroft which was like an approved school for delinquent girls wasn't it and yes. uh, the guy that who was the investigative journalist he's a guy called Merrion Jones now he's actually the brother-in-law of one of my friends and uh, I remember getting a text from a mate and he just said watch Newsnight tonight there's going to be some ex- something explosive about Savile he was a bit cryptic so I didn't necessarily know it was about child abuse so I was like watch your news night, waiting for this thing to come on about Savile. And of course, it didn't come on because what we found out, I think it was much later on, wasn't it, that uh, Newsnight had pulled it. Yeah. They'd pulled this this piece that up until the very last minute they were going to run. Yeah. Uh, which had got 
interviews with victims of Savile and, uh, you know, they referenced other people that had been allegedly abused in the past. And it looked like a very solid piece of journalism. Yeah. But for some reason, the BBC decided not to show it. Now, the official reason seems to be that it was because they were going to run a couple of tribute shows to Savile, you know, at Christmas. Like there's yeah. going to be some... Jim will fix it special presented by Shane Ritchie of all people. And uh, <laughs> he didn't want it to conflict with, with that, which seems astonishing, doesn't it's it? Astonishing. That, that type of editorial decision would have been made by the BBC. I think it was something they probably subsequently denied. It got very messy, didn't it? And they were very messy. They were shown to what have uh, strange really hole. covered it up. Covered it up. They probably I bottled think... it, didn't they? I think that's what it is. I think they shit themselves and wanted to cover it up because they knew, they knew that in that particular piece that Newsnight did, in that documentary that didn't get, go out, it was a damning indictment about BBC's policy and BBC's policy towards him. But I think the bigger picture on Savile, there's something else going on, and there has been. I really, I'm not a massive conspiracy theorist, but I tell you something, I really strongly believe to this day that there was some serious covering up of things when it came to Savile. I think he was Epstein-like, you know, this talk of Epstein, how he he had a lot on different people. So Mm -hmm. therefore he had them in his thrall because, and I think there must be something like that with Savile because. Do you mean people in the BBC? Yeah. I think people in the BBC, I think people in politics, I think even the monarchy, Something's going on. Something went on there that we'll probably mm. never know about. Well, funnily enough, Dave, I when I, I went to this talk with Merrion Jones because he started doing this uh, this like uh, tour. What made it quite exciting was there were some Savile supporters in the audience, right? Right. That uh, he was aware of that they were going to be coming, and before he really got going, he really sort of hammered down on them, you know, straight away and said, you know, there's some people in the audience that are not fans of mine. They've come here to discredit me. If you if you want to have a go at me, that's fine, but don't start targeting my family. And that seemed to, I don't know what they were doing particularly, but that seems to make them shrink, you know, and you didn't hear anything from them during uh. the during the talk, but <clears throat> uh, apart from one ridiculous question. But anyway, uh, I actually asked him a question. I said, do you think there's anything, do you think there's any connection between you know, Savile's abuse and the abuse uh, that's been alleged in Westminster. And uh, he said, yeah, he thinks there the is a connection there. So, uh, yeah, I, I, he didn't elaborate on that. I mean, I should have probably probed him I mean, more on that. But I think there has been a rumour that Savile may have been in charge of like a supply line of well, vulnerable kids. When you, you, it's, the thing is, when you hear of the behaviour of the likes of Cyril Smith and Clement Freud by the sound of it, and there was all the talk about Jenna, wasn't there? Then it's come out about Leon Britton. Now, none of that's been, I know that's not been uh, substantiated, uh, and I know that, you know, there's been a big rumour mill about Ted Heath as well. Well, Ted Heath, I think David I reckons Ted Heath's a child-killing Satanist, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, but they thought, you know, but the, 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 the big, the classic conspiratorial thing there is, of course, is that Savile fed Heath a, a, a string of boys from a, a children's home in Jersey, and he would get them, he would get them from the, from the children's home 
onto Ted Heath's boat where Ted Heath would have his wicked way with them and then murder them and throw them overboard. So oh, sorry, sorry for laughing, but it's so elaborate. It's so like so bizarre. bizarre. I mean, in a way, it's, it's fairly plausible. Yeah. Now listen to me, Ted. I know you like the boys, you say, and I will get you these lovely, lovely young boys from the, the children's home, you know, these horrible little orphans, and I'll bring them to your lovely boat where you can have your wicked way and then murder them and throw them overboard. <laughs> Jim fixed it for you, Ted. You know, so... Would they not get washed up on the shore? Well, that's they, uh, it. I suppose he could have weighed them down. Well, you weigh them down, Ted, with a big, big anchor. With that's a Jim will fix it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Metal. Solid girl, Jim will fix it, badge. Oh, oh, oh. Way down to the bottom of David. Well, I suppose he, he David would have Jones's been... locker. <laughs> I suppose Jim would have fixed it for him, wouldn't he? Yeah. So, uh, exactly. Yeah. Probably had loads of spare ones. He probably gave him 50 for each child. But it's <laughs> that'll, the... Whole, that'll weigh him down. If not involved in anything other than getting in with the establishment and the establishment finding a way to use him because they thought he was kind of popularist, not realising that he's a freak... You know, that it actually everyone, the majority of people look at him, oh, God, he's a bit weird, isn't he? You wouldn't have him in your house, would you, on a Christmas well, day? Well, that was part of his power, Dave. And I remember reading in this book I've got uh, called In Plain Sight, which is about, you know, Savile's abuses and how he got away with it. Yeah. It's, there's one chapter called The Power of Oddness. Right? Well. And that sums up Savile to me because. Yes. Savile's odd personality. Yeah. Because it was quite jovial. And you sort of felt that he was being friendly, even though he's been weird and he might have been touching you. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's how he got away with it because no one knew how to challenge that behaviour. No, and the, and I think that that speaks volumes to to what happened with Harris too, because Harris came across as this kind of eccentric, jovial. Yeah, you know what it is. Yeah. yeah. Let's go into the song now. You know, and all this kind of crazy, sort of strange, odd you might say, behaviour, but he seemed so kid-friendly, mum-and-dad-friendly, oh, well, family-friendly. Yeah, he was family-friendly. And, and Savile tried to promote that image of himself too. A strange, odd, quirky Uncle Jimmy, but he's the soul of the earth, really. He's the soul of the earth. He wouldn't hurt a fly. Yeah. Strange. Yeah. But clever, like you say, you, using their oddness to deflect, to deflect their criminality. Yeah. In this chapter, it tells you about a story because he, he started off working in the coal mines when he was fairly young, Savile. Yeah. And uh, he was always a bit of a loner. You know, he didn't mix much with the older guys. And one of the jobs he had was a job where no one really wanted to do it because you were on your own and you were, in the, you were right at the bottom of the mine and you were in a very dark place. What his job was, was to sit in like an alcove all day and just make sure the the trucks didn't come off the rails. Yeah. But Savile volunteered to do it. Now, the other guy didn't want to do it because, you know, it was a very lonely job. Solitary, yeah. It's spooky. Yeah. You know, you're on there in your dark with just a torch. But Savile loved it. He right? loved it, didn't he? But yeah. one day, because he wanted to confuse his, uh, his co-workers, he turned up in a suit, right, yeah. with newspaper under his arm. So they're all there in their overalls and that. And they're going down the lift. But Savile's there in his best suit, right? So they're looking at him like, what the fuck are you doing? You're going down to a coal mine. You know, you're going to be filthy. 
But when he got to his little cubby hole where he used to sit, he took off the suit, folded it, wrapped it in newspaper to protect it, and just sat there in the naked or in his underwear. <laughs> but then when it was due to it was due to come out, he put the suit back on. So you can imagine the faces when he emerges from this lift. Amazing. You know, looking clean as a whistle. <laughs> but it was just something that he wanted to do. Yeah. To make himself he was such a loner, wasn't he? I think that's really interesting because he was such a kind of he was such a loner and self-absorbed, and yeah, able to be totally easy. He didn't need so, friends, did he? No, he never no. needed friends. And I think that's part of it. So he he wore that kind of the oddity and the oddness as a kind of safety blanket around him, and it was probably quite intimidating too. It was kind of be very welcoming, but it also like a shield of protection. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? to keep other people out so it works you know but and let's be honest he's one of the canniest bloody criminals britain's ever had because he went to his grave with a knighthood with millions of pounds with all these honors he even got these the day he died all these bloody tributes came out the day he was buried all these people came out on the streets with crying and wishing him well Mm-hmm. Not once and in meanwhile, Newsnight are covering up this story. Uh, Newsnight, you know, the people, oh, it must have been incredibly frustrating for the journalists on Newsnight who yeah, wanted exactly. to expose him, yeah. wanted to say uh, how things really were. Well, uh, but one right thing up until about then. The journalist, Dave, is that it was actually his auntie that ran this Duncroft. Right. Uh, so he, uh, he had first hand knowledge of seeing Savile there, you know, because he used to yeah. go and visit his auntie and he'd see Savile there all the time and he knew what was going on. Uh, but his auntie seemed to turn a blind eye to it, I think. It's quite remarkable because what he very cleverly realised was he, he not only had a very, very public uh, face and public voice, but he was also the sort he had the ear of people. He had the ear of the Prime Minister. He, oh, yeah, he had Christmas the ear of Thatcher. Was, it? It Christmas dinner. She said, mm. you're welcome anytime. Come on, anytime, Jimmy. You're, you know, because she thought, oh, it's Jimmy Savile. He's a great fundraiser. He's a great ally for the Conservative Party, you know. And they, you know, the Tories, they're always so clueless about what's trendy and hip and who's in and who's fashionable and who, who's it. And they just thought he was great for them, you know. Yeah. It was, it was, was it Johnny Marr that when he heard that David Cameron was, uh, said that he liked the Smiths or something. <laughs> yeah. And he said, I forbid you to be a fan. <laughs> you always get these Tories coming out saying uh, they love the Arctic monkeys. And yeah, yeah. It was well, it Boris Weller. Johnson said he was a big fan of. Yeah, well, some I think it was, uh, I think Weller has said that uh, one of the Tories said he really likes. Was, in fact, I thought it was David Cameron who said that um, his favourite song was Eaten Rifles by David Oh, it might have Paul been. Weller. Might have been. And Paul Weller said, uh, it's amazing how some people don't really get the lyrics of something. Exactly. I mean, swagging it's off the obvious, school. isn't it? Yeah, so obvious, exactly. But, you know, they'll just, they say anything anyway, don't they, these fucking people? Well, I remember Blair being embarrassing when he was saying he was a big Newcastle United fan. And oh, you remember seeing, what was that famous Newcastle player, Jackie somebody... Jackie Milburn. Jackie Mil- I remember sitting in, no, what was it, sitting in the Gallagher ends watching Jackie <laughs> Milburn. And William Hague called him out the next Prime Minister's question time and said, there wasn't seats in the Gallagher end. <laughs> fuck you, player, you lying bastard. <laughs> uh, yeah, 
a politician. But they'll grab onto anybody, won't they, thinking that they're... But Savile had... Uh, he had a spell over these people. It's not just like your communal garden supporter of a party. You know, and a lot of celebs in the time went the, went that way with the Tories, didn't they? You know, people I admired, you know, maybe cringe. Kenny Everett. Oh, Kenny Everett. And, you know, what really made me cringe was Eric Morecambe. You know, he's a childhood hero. Oh, he I was didn't like, know about him. Yeah, Leonard Roster. Leonard Roster, another childhood hero, brilliant comedian, another brilliant comedian, brilliant comic actor. He was to the right of Attila the Hun. He was a right fucking right-wing Tory. Shocking. Oh, oh, Apparently yeah. him and Francis de la Tour, when they did Rising Damp, used to have huge arguments because Francis de la Tour's a, a good soul of the earth lefty and, and you know, Leonard Rosset is an absolute fascist, apparently. <laughs> Well, knowing Morecambe that, he does change an opinion, doesn't it? I mean, especially uh, Eric Morecambe. But, Eric Morecambe was a big yeah. friend of his as well. They used to have dinner together. So it makes you sad, you know, because you think Eric Morecambe's such a beautiful person. And in many ways, he seemed that way. You know, he'd love to mm-hmm. read and he loved bird watching. He was a great... You never hear any controversy about him and his wife and his family. He's very admirable in many ways. But then yeah. you go, oh, no, Eric, you, you're a Tory. It's horrible <laughs> when you hear something like that, isn't it? It is, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It's so disappointing. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't you have just left that out of his legacy? I wish <laughs> I didn't know that. Uh, but anyway, yeah. yeah, I mean, so obviously Savile kicked it all off and his abuse was very much targeted at kids, you know, very young. I mean, I'm not not really young kids, I suppose, but, you know, I think certainly 10. Oh, I think terrible. there was one story of him being in bed with a 10-year-old, which... Yeah, uh, terrible. You know, he'd, apparently he just phoned up his mate, didn't he? And said, oh, yeah, I'm in bed with this 10-year-old. You know, that's yeah. how brazen he was. And this is the point as well of making that sort of difference. You know, this is not to defend any of the pop stars that might have ended up, you know, having relations with teenage girls who were groupies and stuff. Who, let's be honest, and I'm, you know, 16, 17, 18-year-old girls who were throwing themselves at pop stars, we are not talking, we are talking about some incredibly dark predatory behaviour as well. Mm. You know, not that he wouldn't have been and quite rightly been in trouble if by accident he'd have slept with a girl that he thought was 19 and she turned out to be 15. Yeah. Quite rightly, anybody in those situations should, you know, get in trouble for what for their actions. But... What happened there with Savile and everything that we can see from Savile's behaviour that was a, was serial behaviour was that of a terrible predator who really, really abused his power. The closest thing to him, I can the only thing I can think that's close to him is is um, Bill Cosby in America, really. You know, that, well, I, was only thinking, I thought you were going to say Epstein there because, you know, Bill Cosby did obviously abuse loads of people, but they did uh, tend to be women. I'm talking about someone in the public eye, Lee, sorry. Probably yeah, needed, yeah. To, needed to clarify that and underline okay. that. You know, someone who was very much in the zeitgeist of the public, very much like Savile, at his he- in real heyday in the 70s and 80s, uh, who w- complete. I mean, in some ways, what Cosby did was even more shocking, really, because he painted himself as this incredibly puritanical and straight-laced fun-loving family man in Dr. Huxtable in The Cosby Show. And in reality, he and he pre- presented that in real life too. Amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. 
Yeah, pure Jekyll and Hyde. I mean, you, you wouldn't mentioned... kind of think that with Savile. With Savile, you kind of think, yeah, he's a bit odd. Yeah, yeah, he's a bit odd. He's a bit strange. He's a bit of a loner. Wouldn't put it past him to do some shady things, especially when he's younger. But yeah. not. I mean, when he ran nightclubs in Manchester, there was plenty of dodgy. Yeah. And the rumor mill was the rumor. The rumor mill was rife, wasn't it? When we were doing showbiz in Ireland, when we were doing our comedy nights, um, uh, and I was dressing myself up as Savile and coming on stage. We all thought that he was a Roman. We all made jokes that he had bodies buried in the woods and things like that. And there was lots of stories around Greater Manchester about his behaviour, even before Louis Theroux. Louis Theroux raised it in that documentary, didn't he, where he said, you know, uh, you always say you hate kids. And is that true? And Savile said, well, it's a sort of defence against the allegations. And I I didn't hear any allegations at that time that Savile was supposedly a paedophile or suspected paedophile. So I was quite surprised that he had this defence because, as I say, I didn't know there was any allegations, but there was, wasn't there? There was loads of uh, yeah. rumours about him abusing kids. And, and and I felt a bit sorry for him that he had to do that, to say, I hate kids because it's the only way I can stop the rumours. Even if you hate kids, you can still abuse them. You know, some people absolutely enjoy that aspect of it, of don't course. they? But, so it wasn't the greatest defence against the abuse allegations. I have to say, I was very surprised when it all came out uh, because he'd managed to keep it quiet or people didn't speak out until well until after his death. No. And that's the shame, isn't it, that he never had to face these allegations. It was amazing. His arrogance or his confidence. Incredible. That he was never going to get done for this, even though he was so blatant about it. You know, there's things that you hear now, you hear him on tape. And he's sort of hinting at this, isn't he? You know, in certain interviews, Incredible. He'll, say, he'll say things that allude to his behaviour. He was quizzed on certain things. And, and uh, there's uh, a new documentary out, I've noticed, uh, about body language and uh, analysis on it, where they're saying it was all there to see, it was there. You know, but that's easily done. You know, there's a lot of body language experts and you've, You've got to prove things. You know, you can't, uh, body language cannot get people convicted of crimes. You need real evidence to convict people of crimes. Mm. What he was very good at was knowing that most things were circumstantial and anecdotal evidence. And secondly, on top of that, a lot of the people who might have wanted to step forward were in the org, were part of organizations or would, had been involved in things within the organisations where he worked. And he worked for some of these enormous organisations, not just the BBC, but Broadmoor Hospital, Stoke Mandeville Hospital, these places where he had a powerful influence and he was a massive fundraiser for them too. So he had this huge power and influence. And the the powers that be that run these organisations, they're always run by bloody... uh, committee aren't they you mm. know like a set of governors none of them were going to want to bring him to book over anything what they wanted to do was hush everything down straight away because they yeah, knew that they, he was they didn't want money to in. believe there was any truth in it because it would have stopped their cash cow wouldn't yeah it's it the cash cow oh god it's one thing that we have to acknowledge as part of the reason that a lot of these celebrities got away with it was the culture they seem to be this culture exactly. in the 70s that it's not that serious. No, you know, okay, and, and, shagging a thirteen-year-old. Who cares? You know, it was. It's almost like this silent complicity. 
exactly and going and, and, on you know a bit the, like maybe drink driving where that yeah. at one point wasn't taken that seriously was it you know everyone did it occasionally listen do you know what lee i reckon that you know people put more certainly more emphasis on on drink driving wearing seat belts to, right up to no smoking in a public place ahead of um sexual assault or things yeah. like that because when you look at it now in retrospect when you look at some of the things that took place first of all a lot of these things are very hard to prove aren't they they're very difficult to prove i think so that's a that that's a problem but if you look back on it like you said, you said it perfectly there. And that's what I was alluding to when I was talking about the FHM and the loading magazines and the culture. The culture had remained the same, mm. the sexualized culture and the laddism culture. Let's call it laddism. The laddism culture had pretty much remained the same until we got into the new millennium. In fact, until we really got into the tens, 2010s, if you like, probably with Savile, because it was only really... The Paul Gad stroke Gary Glitter situation and the Jonathan King thing before Savile, wasn't it? That yeah. came to the fore. And like you said before that, there was just kind of a, a whole kind of, uh, and right up, and, and during that too, they were just like anomalies. They were just like strange oddities that had taken place. I think it would have been different if it was Glitter and teenage girls, you know, 15. Oh, yeah. It but would have it, been. I don't know if he would have got the same sort of, condemnation particularly no i don't think it was that but it was obviously babies and upwards with yeah, glitter, exactly. wasn't it that's right because it, it I, totally absolutely and i think the things with glitter it would have just been oh well they they wanted it they were you know mm. keen on it. that kind of attitude and this let's be honest there's been a, there's been a lot of people and i mentioned the the bowie thing the alleged bowie thing i must throw those in the alleged bowie thing we were talking about the alleged rolling stones things and they would go into that bracket of they didn't go looking for it, okay? But it changed with the glitter, obviously, because of the age. Just like you said, if it was if they were teenage girls and stuff, or mistaken identity and all this kind of stuff, no one would have really given a shit. No one would have given a shit. I think a lot of people felt a bit sorry for um, Jonathan King and felt like you know, oh well, you know. It, did he really do anything that but you know what i mean yeah because a... i think what he said if i remember correctly that all his his victims were 16 victims yeah possibly 15 yeah. which you know to, let's be honest there's a lot of sexually active sexually savvy 15 year old lads out there isn't they and i'm not um and and these but there's also let's be honest let's say about it, these very strong predatory male situation in the gay community coming on strong big time in a yeah. very macho very i'm not saying the king was like that but the argument no, it's still king, predatory behavior it's but still pretty exactly and I, then when I, you look king that, didn't see it like that it's, it's no. interesting did you ever see that documentary when I he did, came out I of prison? Did. and actually my feeling was in the documentary the documentary about his behavior ultimately in the end i thought yeah it was very kind of predatory behavior in the end he, it was yeah. there was a little bit of ambiguity at some point and then by the end of it you thought no no he was he was deliberately trying to abuse these, take advantage of the his power and success and abuse these kids who were vulnerable. They were vulnerable young people. You know? Yeah, of course. I mean, given his age at the time. But similarly, and one probably, and I don't mean to uh, make light of this one, but 
that reminded me of a little bit the King thing was uh, was Fred Tolbert. Oh my God! Uh, who seems to get forgotten a bit in this because uh, I don't think it was part of Operation U Tree because as I said, there was lots of other investigations and there was plenty well, in the Northwest, wasn't there? Where he we came out around the U Tree time though, didn't he? It was around. Yeah, yeah. Time. It was all. See what happened is U Tree focused. U Tree was the start, and then other police forces had their own investigation. Uh, Fred Talbot got arrested along with Stuart Hall, I think, and uh, oh, wow, Michael yeah. Bell and Kem, Kem Barlow, not Kem Barlow, William Roach. Uh, I mean, there might have been different investigations, but it's all the same part of the pie, isn't it? But yeah, the Fred Talbot one, I mean, I have to say, you know, it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. <laughs> Fucking hated Fred Talbot. Uh, do you know something? I can vouch for that because I don't know if you know. I'm sure I must have told you this, but I, I met Fred Talbot on yeah. many occasions. His favourite pub was a pub called the Stamford Arms in Bowden. And he used to go in there most nights smoking his Panatella cigars. And he was a miserable git, really. Yeah. Hung around the bar. He, he was a miserable git. But the rumour was there and then that when he was a teacher at, I think, Alty Grammar School... It was, yeah. ...that he, he messed around with the lads. And that 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 was the rumour mill back was then. It? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I heard that many times. But I spoke to him at the bar a couple of times because I think it was... Did I do a gig or something there? I can't remember. I did something there when I had my band. And it had, like, a, a room on the side... And we, there was comedy nights that we went to and stuff. I remember speaking, because he was just a person in the pub, you know. So I spoke to him a couple of times. But he was very different from that person, that persona that he portrayed on TV. The very sort of happy, Giles Brandrathy, jumper-wearing twat, dancing about on the island. Yeah. <laughs> a reference to Bill Cosby here. Greg Proops. Do you remember Greg Proops, the American comedian? Yes, I do. On Whose Line Is It Anyway? Yeah. He appeared on This Morning once. Yeah. And he saw Fred doing his bit. Yeah. Right? Obviously, the first time he'd ever seen it. And he, he said, oh, my God, that guy, that guy wears jumpers Bill Cosby wouldn't even wear. <laughs> and they were both nonces. And you could always... And he used to do that little thing, where's Fred tonight? Well, tonight he's, in, he's on remand, but we won't cover that. <laughs> He just wasn't that character at all. I, having seen it firsthand on numerous occasions, he just wasn't that character on TV. And mm. you can't be that character 24-7. You understand that. But he was. it was a real Jekyll and Hyde thing. You know, I assume that Giles Brandreth is, on the whole, quite Giles Brandreth. I mean, I met, for example, um, uh, Henry Blofeld, you know, from the cricket. Oh, my, oh my darling, yeah. my, my dear old thing, my dear old thing. And he's very, he is very much like that. I went afterwards just to... Because it was just at the the local hall in De- in Denby, which was quite surprised that he would show up there to do his sort of one man show, regaling anecdotes about his life, you know, which was it, great fun, brilliant. But he he had that kind of joie de vivre about him. He still had that. When it was a great show, thanks very much. It was oh pleasure, dear boy, my pleasure. You know what I mean? Nothing like that came out of Fred Tolbert when he was in the pub. <laughs> it was like yeah, you're all right. How are you doing? You know, it's totally different. <laughs> Wasn't yeah. the rumour that he was uh, his boyfriend was Jimmy Corkill, Dean something? <laughs> was yeah, that? I remember uh, G- Dean Sullivan. Right, Dean Sullivan. Was Can he really? I don't. That? I mean, the most unlikely couple. That's it's hilarious, <laughs> isn't it? Do you know what though, mate? There were so many stories back in the day. I remember you remember Bob Greaves. There were stories about Bob Greaves being a Roman as well. 
you know, from really? Black Panther. Yeah, there was. I heard stories growing up about Bob Greaves. Okay, again, unsubstantiated, nothing came of it. <laughs> but then, of course, we get the Stuart Hall, the whole Stuart Hall thing, which was well, that was shocking, wasn't it? You couldn't believe that, especially as it was young kids, you know, as young as eight. Just incredible. He was a real serial bloody offender, wasn't he? And actually, there's a, a, a girlfriend of mine from many, many years ago, and they lived in Delamere Forest, and she got a lucky escape because I think he gave her a lift back to the house or something. I can't quite remember the full side of the story, but um, it was only a short journey, and the parents knew that he was doing that from some kind of fate or something that took place in Delamere Forest. And Stuart Hall, uh, and this was before, so none of this had come out at this time. It was just like this little story that Stuart Hall had given her a lift back to the house from mum and dad. They were bringing things back from the fate and blah, blah, blah. I'm sure that's how it goes. It's in a long time since it was told the story. So it kind of, oh, God, it kind of made me freak out a bit. I thought, God, that's that would have been a close call. I wonder if they think about that now. You know, I think, mm. I think the person in question, she lives in Canada now, I think, so, or, or North, certainly North America. It probably wouldn't have occurred to their parents that this could possibly happen because no, people might know Stuart Hall from It's a Knockout, uh, but in the Northwest, he was much more famous, wasn't he? Because he used to do the local oh, yeah. news here. Totally. And yeah. uh, he was always like a funny guy, a very amiable person. And most football fans would know Stuart Hall very well too because of his, his very clever, flowery language that he used when he was talking about the football. He would commentate yeah, on, on the football. Live, yeah. And he'd go, Everton today on the pitch were like a herd of wildebeest dragging the ball forward into the defence of Sunderland. It was like that, wasn't it? Yeah, he was. As he was sun, well known for that. the yeah. sun set over Goodison mm. Park. Back to you, John. When you think about the people that were arrested and charged... He was one of the most shocking, I think, yeah. to me, because, you know, along with Rolf Harris and along with Savile, these are people that you liked from your childhood. And, you know, some people that were arrested, you think, hmm, I can see why. Maybe, you know, Dave Lee Travers and that. <laughs> people <laughs> like him. But, uh, you know, when it came to Stuart Hall and even Rolf Harris, who was this warm, friendly presence, you know, yeah. remember him on Animal Hospital. He's compassionately showed for the animals. That's and incredible. I just thought Rolf Harris is nothing but a lovely guy. And then you hear about him abusing eight-year-old kids at signings where he's signing his, his new single or his CD. He's actually fucking abusing them in front of their parents. He's incredible. I think, yeah. I, think and, the, I think the Harris thing is possibly the hardest out of all of them to get your head around because, like you say, he did present himself as this very kind of kid-friendly presenter, didn't he? He was, yeah. for all intents and purposes, a kind person. It's too easy to dismiss these people as monsters, but there were contradictions in many in yeah. many ways that they could... Probably Rolf Harris was a very genuine, lovely person Yeah. to certain people and obviously to animals. But he had well, that side of him where he just didn't give a shit about what he was doing to other people. Well, he had this kind of strange, real kind of abusive, Lolita-esque, and I was going to say relationship then, but it certainly wasn't a relationship. It was manipulation of his his own daughters 
best friend. Uh, that's right. Yeah. So that was the big. That was that the big was thing the big in that part case, of the case, wasn't it? Is that he started abusing her when she was thirteen. One of the things that did him or convicted him was a letter that he'd sent to the dad of the, the person he abused, sort of saying, "Please forgive me. You know, I've recently met up with her." And she said, I ruined the life and I've ruined the childhood. And he makes it out in this letter that he never realised that their affair or their relationship had caused her such harm. And he, he denies having any sexual contact with her until she was 18, which is obviously bullshit. Yeah. But this letter is so self-indulgent. It's like, it's all about him. You know, it's all about, I hate myself. And, you know, I've just been in this pit of self-loathing, please, can you forgive me? So it's just begging forgiveness, but yeah. he's not admitting to anything. He's, he's saying that the sexual relationship was initiated by her when, when she turned 18. She's, I mean, I can understand why he did it. He wants to get away with it, obviously, but uh, he never he never admitted it. He never showed any sure. remorse. And uh, But that letter was the, the the biggest thing to condemn him. Yeah. Really. I mean, it was, it was almost, it was like he was admitting to abuse because yeah. apart from that final line said she <laughs> nothing happened she instigated when she was 18 he's like come on for god's sake what's going on here this is crazy even if not you've already had this very unhealthy obsessive relationship with this girl who's the friend of your daughter yeah he was over you've kept hidden that. from your your friends her parents i mean what the fuck but what it says to us was that even someone who can convey genuine, what seems to be genuine empathy, and genuine concern and emotion could still be possibly a psycho, slightly psychopathic, certainly narcissistic, very devious individual, you know. And I think in that respect, the Savile, th- uh, the uh, Harris thing in particular is really disturbing. Because he did seem to be able to genuinely convey degree of emotion. But what he did seem to share with Savile was a degree of kind of um, single-minded solitude. Apparently, he was he was quite good at just being in his own little bubble, even around other people. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, there was. Um, I watched this documentary, and it it was saying when he was on a show, Savile, that he didn't I really talk to any other people. No. He would uh, just be, Harris, he'd, Harris, he'd do mean. his yeah, Havel, Harris, sorry. He would do his thing, he'd be very yeah. professional. Uh, but backstage he was very very standoffish, very aloof. Rude, yeah. Very rude. And there was rude, one yeah. guy who went on and he tried to warn the audience, do some jokes and stuff. Yeah. And he went up to him, didn't he? And he went, he tapped him on the shoulder and says, I'll do the jokes. I do the yeah. jokes. Yeah. And it's like and he said, I, I knew that, that minute I thought he's an arsehole. I know. Yes, he all does, this, yeah. He says he's not this a loose. jovial Rolf, lovely Rolf. He's a dick. You know, I go back to it. I, I do you just remember those animal hospital episodes, you know, you couldn't have thought more of Rolf. No. Then that's could right. you and that's probably conveys also with the Stuart Hall thing because Hall was very good at conveying this jovial warmth. It's a knockout, laughing his head off at what's happening. Oh, he found it so hilarious. And then when he was giving his his long monologues about what happened at the football and his flowery language, it came across as this lovely, warm kind of affectionate, uh, eccentric figure, but harmless. 
And this is where the connection lies very closely between you, you look at Stuart Hall, you look at Jimmy Savile, and you look at and you look at Rolf Harris, and they all had this kind of extrovert, cultivated persona, and that was their shield of armour, giving them carte blanche to do what they wanted to do. But you'd think that even in the seventies, when a lot of this abuse happened, they seemed to take major risks you know like i said about harris abusing a girl whilst he's signing a record for her in front of her parents you can't help thinking he must have got off on that oh absolutely power trip but that could have massively backfired couldn't it the girl could have just turned around and said dad he's just put his hand up my skirt in front of like a whole shop full of people it's a massive strange power trip because what they had was you look at all these people, they'd found themselves in positions of power where they could, you know, manipulate people and do what the hell they wanted. And and especially to the most vulnerable people in society. I think if they weren't it's, powerful and they weren't celebrities that they would have done it. Yeah. Yeah. I think they still would. They, I think it was... Because I'm wondering, you know, I mean, nature. obviously you get genuine paedophiles that are attracted to, to kids and they will do it wherever they are. But to me... Because there's often with these abusers, there's a there's an age range, isn't there? They will be abusing adults as well. I can't help thinking, is this something to do with celebrity? Is this something to do with the power and, and the feeling that I can get away with anything? And let's test this. Let's see what I can do, how far I can go. Well, I think what's interesting there, Lee, is I think it was probably already present within them. But the huge... Would you have that many actual paedophiles working within the BBC? Well, who knows? The whole thing with paedophiles is, is the idea that they they become very adept at covering their tracks and changing their behaviour to uh, to suit mm. the chameleons. I think this is the thing, but they do tend to gravitate towards positions of of power to have access to kids. Yeah, to have access to kids, and so they'll work at becoming like experts in their field, just by the terribly sad situation that took place with the, the, the football coach who then has an incredible yeah. scandal as big as anything. Mm. His behavior was so fucking appalling. He was up there with Savile, yeah. you know, really terrible behavior. You see, I, I think a lot of it is to do with opportunity and probably thinking I can get away with this because I am a celebrity, you know, but they it's, might it's, not necessarily be attracted to kids because it's just that a, a child is vulnerable, isn't it? So they're attracted to vulnerability. They, they might not have a predilection for children, but, you know, and that's not to say that they're not paedophiles, but I think there's something extra in terms of the, the, the job that they had that made them do this or allowed them but to do But I think it's any it. job where that, and if someone may have a predilection for it, but also they've got the power because of their status. And I think it's, I don't know if it's about. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. I'm saying it's about status because maybe it was kids because kids won't say anything or kids. You can scare. Exactly. You couldn't necessarily scare an adult. I wasn't going to bring this up, but where I worked for a good couple of years, when we moved here to Wales, uh, I worked in a school and it's kind of well-known like public school kind of went against my beliefs, but you know, the money was right. And it, yeah, anyway, but I don't know if even you know this, but the head teacher, and it didn't end well for me there, 
But uh, <laughs> I think you should tell that story, Dave, because it is quite, I'm sorry to say, it's quite funny. It is quite funny and it feels like <laughs> tremendous karma. But anyway, you know, I, I, to cut a long story short, this person uh, was a, a kind of all powerful in the school, the head teacher there. And it, there was the feeling that because he brought in a lot of these students from China and North Korea and had all these connections, he could get away with anything, you know. Mm. But what was interesting, when we talked about Savile before, there was all this talk around the school that, oh, the person in question, I won't mention his name, the person in question didn't like kids. No, he hated kids. Isn't that interesting? Just like Savile would used to say, don't yeah, like kids. yeah. And then it all started creeping out through the papers and it, it, it was all there in the, in the Daily Mail and the Daily Express and all the big tabloids as well as the, the local Welsh papers that um, some of the girls at the school, the young girls there, had complained about the way he'd spoken to them, the text message he'd sent them, the way he'd be. And he would say totally flagrantly. I can, do you know what? Most teachers would be suspended or expelled for saying these things, like how sexy you look in that red dress. But I can get away with it like this. He had this complete yeah. conviction and belief that he can get away with saying these things and who knows where he would have taken it or could have taken it or did take it. But time and time again, the school turned a blind eye and this one courageous girl from the school in question pursued it and pursued it until in the end the governors had to pull together and say we're going to have to let him go we're going to have to get rid of him they didn't mm. want to do it they didn't want to do it because money Amazing. talks money yeah. talks and that's what it was all about money to yeah. fuck the kids fuck the kid who was um you know abused by him and made to feel like fil filthy and dirty which is what took place absolutely what took place no 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 they didn't want to address it until the pressure became too much from the press and the media brought about by the persistence of this young this young woman and because she wasn't the only one who came forward to say no he'd he'd use these fucking power trips on me and was very inappropriate with me too you know yeah well, well goodbye see ya it does well, take more okay, than one to come it. forward see you, Toby doesn't Belfield, it <laughs> yeah i mean when it's one victim's word against somebody it's impossible and the cps probably wouldn't bring it but i think what happened in a lot of the cases of the celebrities that were prosecuted is that several people came forward didn't they? there was loads of people particularly in the case of max clifford who was another guy oh my god guy that was convicted what, what really told me he was absolutely stone cold guilty was the fact that they were all of a similar age you know they were all like I think the youngest was 14, it was 14 to 19. There was loads of girls saying the same thing of yeah. a similar age. Yeah. And uh, these cases are very difficult and it's very easy for the celebrity to say, oh, they're just after money. This is a money grabbing thing and uh, well, they're making it up. This is what's but really when there's so many of them coming Correct. forward, which is a very difficult thing to do. What it takes is the one person in this in the in the case and the example I was using about the the Welsh school. It took one brave person to do it initially and to keep persistent until the floodgates opened, and then others came out and said, "Yes, he was inappropriate with me." Now, yeah. as far as I'm aware, no no uh, actions have been taken against him other than that he was given that he was given the boot, and it should yeah. have been pushed further and taken further because, uh, you know. 
I, I might be wrong on this. I might be wrong, and maybe things have been pursued a little bit. But further. how does that make the victims feel? And this is a lot of what happened with the, the totally. victims that came forward for the Newsnight thing. Is that they were just basically told that no one believes you. No, yeah, you know, my exactly. boss believes you. And what happened with that, of course, is that ITV ended up making the documentary, didn't they? Yeah. So yeah. they did actually get vindicated in the end, and people did believe them. But, but it's shocking. The BBC were appalling over the whole Savile thing, and I think Newsnight were Newsnight themselves felt absolutely shamed by it, didn't they? That was the one good thing about it is that it backfired spectacularly on them. Yeah. And they've only got them, and I think in some ways it's part of this fake news thing because they've got them only got themselves to blame. Where they go on about, oh, this fake news, oh, it's appalling how people think, believe in this and believe in that. Well, <laughs> you can't blame people for believing in things when for 30 years, and 30 years is about right, someone like Jimmy Savile was on our TV, an established figure, right? And he was seemingly protected by the establishment that provided his fucking wages and his longevity as a performer, whatever kind of performer he was, you know, fucking bullshit yeah. artist. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But uh, this is the same when you see, have you know, they always show Top of the Pops now on uh, BBC4, don't they, on, on Fridays. Yeah. Uh, but I've never seen one with Dave Lee Travers on it. Never see one with Travers, do you? <laughs> you never see one with Savile. Because they used, we... to, they used to grope the young women, didn't they? That, of course they did. Because they would always do their pieces to camera <laughs> with loads of people around them, usually women. <laughs> and, you know, Savile, I've seen clips where Savile has fucking got his arms all over them. Oh, all over. Disgusting. Yeah. And he's, like, really got them tightly gripped, hasn't he? Yeah. Um, probably, you know, well, probably stinking appalling. a little bit of one B.O. Appalling, uh... <laughs> you know, after he's had a jog. <laughs> There's one appalling... <laughs> clip of him doing this show where he's got Gary Glitter. Oh, man, it's amazing, isn't it? He's got Glitter. Special guest is Gary Glitter. My lovely friend, my lovely partner in crime, Gary Glitter. And as as they play out, as they finish the show, they just focus in on Glitter, both arms round like three or four girls, and the same with Savile. Just sat there looking like dogs with two dicks. (laughs) It's it's horrible. It's like really shocking because you think what would have happened after they stopped filming there. Just have a drink of that, love. Just have a drink of that. The Dave Lee Travers case for me always made me laugh, I've got to admit, because he just looked so pissed off every time he was walking to court and he had to do an interview. Uh, Now, Dave Lee Travers, of course, was was, uh, accused of groping lots of lots of women. And uh, there was one story of him, (laughs) he he was groping, and I'm not laughing at the groping, but he was actually groping some poor girl in his dressing room who was saved by the Chuckle Brothers. I didn't know this. Yeah, because he's in panto. Save to you, save to me. I think he's in panto, and this he's got his arms over this girl who's trying to get out of his dressing room. So the door's oh, half open. God. And she just hears this voice like, all right, Dave. Oh, and it's, it's one of the Truckle brothers <laughs> who were walking down the corridor. That's hilarious. Oh, you've got a lady there with you. Me and my brother, we were looking for this pie factory that might be hidden underneath your desk. It's <laughs> 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 out of that fucking programme. Oh. One of them's dead now, isn't it? Yeah. One of the chucks is dead. Barry or Paul. 
I don't know. I can't remember which one it is. I know it was the sort of skinny old one. The one who looked, oh, like, uh, I think the one who looked like his dad. I bet they weren't brothers. No, it was dad and son, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, God. But I suppose the other amusing story that, that comes out of this is the, the Fred Talbot case where Ian Brown testified. Oh, yeah, fantastic. Which is absolutely brilliant. If you read the transcript of his uh, his back and forth with Fred Tolbert's lawyer, he's so funny. He's so surly. <laughs> uh, Ian Brown, of course, was a pupil at Altrincham Grammar. That's right, yeah. He, he sat in the witness box and gave evidence that Fred Tolbert showed all the class a gay porn film when he was 11, you know, under the guise of sex education. And then... Apparently it was off some guy wanking, right? So we asked the class if any of them have tried it, and then he <laughs> sent them all home, told them to try it and report back. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was Ian Brown's evidence. That's fucking incredible. <laughs> but Fred Talbot's lawyer says to him, you'll just say this because you failed your biology O-level. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I couldn't give a monkey's chuff. Fuck off, I'm Ian Brown, for fuck's sake. Who cares about my biology O-level, you dickhead? He was, he was like, is that, if that's what you're suggesting, suggest on. Well, that might be part of the, the, the rumour mill that came out. I mean, I just knew that he was very inappropriate in the classroom. That's what I knew. I didn't realise that. But Ian Brown, of course, he grew up not too far from where I grew up in, in Altrincham because he was in Timperley, wasn't he, down, just yeah. down the road? And uh, there was many stories growing up about Fred Tobbett being a, a nonce. That was basically it. He's a nonce. It was just taken for Red. Yeah, he's a dirty pedo. That's it. But it well, was... apparently Fred Talbot kept diaries as well of his Ooh. abuse. Oh, my of, God. Of his paedophilic thoughts. Oh, good God. Yeah. Did you ever see the footage of Fred Talbot? Because he always he was appearing in Manchester Magistrates Court, uh, or Manchester Crown Court, sorry, on Minchell Street. And my bus always passed there. And every night I'd come home from work and I'd see like the news crew out outside and doing their pieces and stuff whenever they showed fred he was always walking to court on his own <laughs> you know, it's like he just got the bus into piccadilly the loneliest man in the world it's like normally they come flanked with lawyers or family members but fred would just be there surprised he didn't get attacked oh amazing isn't it, it, it I, just, I think it's the, the apathy of people just thought well we all were kind of knew we all knew fred was a roman you know fuck him <laughs> The, the, the strange thing with all this, though, is is that you, this, all these stories like DLT going to court, fuming. And I remember Jimmy Tarbuck, these accusations of, against Tarbuck. You know, yeah. so many. And th that was thrown out. You know, there were so many accusations, so many. I mean, one of the great joys for me, I have to say, and it sounds a bit mean, really, but was the thought of all these Radio 1 DJs of the time who were... He used to just get on me tits like Simon Bates. Yeah, no, it's going to be my story with Simon Bates. And it was the other one that really got me nerves, like Gary Davis and... Uh, right, there's so many. I, I kind of... Steve Wright's all right. I don't mm. dislike Steve He didn't Wright. used to be all right. No, but he's kind of... Nowadays, he's kind of like a breath of fresh air. His show that hasn't really changed. You listen to it occasionally already. Yeah. Oh, that's all right. You know, that's all right. But... um. Who's the other one that really got me? Gary nerves? Davis. Yeah, Gary Davis. There's someone else. I'm missing someone here. DLT, Simon Blackburn. Bates. Blackburn. Oh, God. Well, it wasn't even going to be Blackburn. It's the obvious one. The Knoll of Edmondshire. 
right? <laughs> so here's me thinking, oh, God, it's only a matter of time. They're sweating. They're crying in their homes. They're sweating, waiting for that doorbell to go. They're turtles head. Their arses going backwards and forwards, waiting <laughs> any second now. They knock on the door. Hello, Mr. Edmonds. Yes, it's the U-Tree squad here. Open up. Hello, Mr. Bates. Master Bates. <laughs> the U-Tree squad here. Open up. You know. I can't in my wildest imagination imagine Simon Bates as a sex predator. No, Let's he, not forget he used to warn you about sexual swear words on yeah. <laughs> on those VHS rentals. They didn't go after Bates or bloody Edmonds anyway. They went after Gambaccini. It was treated terribly. He was kept in terribly. for over a year, wasn't he? And then he um, was just told, oh, oh yeah, we're not going to charge you. Delicate <laughs> Paul Gambaccini. Yeah. Can't do that to him. Paul's all right. Yeah, but to be honest, Dave, I think... Guilty. <laughs> he, no, I'm not saying he was. I don't think he was. But I think he was almost like an obvious target because people thought of him because he's gay <laughs> as probably a bit similar to Jonathan King. And he I remember hearing boys. things about Paul Gambaccini when I was a school kid. But, uh, you know, I don't believe any of it. I think uh, he was treated terribly. There's a few others as well that oh, were never Lord. charged, like who you thought probably were guilty. People like Freddie Starr, uh, Jim, oh, yeah. Davidson. Jim, Davidson, <laughs> Jim Davidson. Well, uh, if, he's not, if he's not a nonce, he's a, he's a filthy neo-Nazi racist <laughs> pig. I know oh, he, was, he wasn't a very nice man, apparently, Freddie Starr. Treated women very badly, according to his ex-girlfriends. And he's a scumbag. Yeah, you could just tell. I think it was one documentary that saw that showed how controlling he was. Oh, I bet he's horrendous. I but think... to be fair, I felt a bit sorry for him because it really did kill him in the end, didn't it? Who are we talking here? Freddie Starr. Freddie Starr, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I thought for a second then you were talking about Davidson. I was going to say he's fucking still going strong, the twat. He's Who's even that? got his own little fucking uh, YouTube TV show or something. This is what gets me. I'm sure so many of them have done like lots of very, if not illegal, borderline illegal things sexually. And I'm sure there's a lot that have still got away with an awful lot because I uh, think how many people were fueled by the cocaine in the 1970s as well and 1980s and mm. so like overwrought with their own success. Like you say, there may be, maybe there is something in that becoming a celebrity, that all powerful conquering celebrity kind of Superman sensation that they, that they probably got this super rush. You probably, you're probably onto something there, Lee, that mm. made them even more susceptible to do very strange things, especially when they were fueled up by all sorts of fucking crazy narcotics, well, you know. The thing that makes me think that, and this is a very strange analogy here, is, you know, when Anthony Waddle Thompson got caught nicking stuff in Tesco? Well, yeah, exactly. There you go, you see. When, he, when he wasn't, he could afford it, but he didn't scan some of the stuff. It was a rush. He said it was just the devil in him. Yeah. A lot of celebrities, maybe they get to a point where they find it easy to get partners, easy to get casual sex. And they just think, mm, I'm a bit bored, maybe. Let's see let's see what I can do that thrills me, you know, really. Yeah, yeah. Shows me how powerful I am. Yeah, it's see a thrill. Push it. You know, and that, like you say, that's, you know, in the scheme of things, it's nothing, is it? You know, let's be honest, Maidley may, may have done the same thing. And yeah. when, Winona Ryder definitely did the same thing. It's, you know, that's, Stuart Hall got done for nicking sausages, didn't Stuart it? Stuart Hall, it's a kind of, it's a little, what the devil, you know, I 
I can get away with it. It's a, the rush in it. It's the empowerment. It's an empowering thing. I remember watching that film. Is it called? Was it called House of Games? Do you remember it with um, Joe Montagna and uh, Lindsay Krause? Very good game. But the apparently she's a psychologist and he's a, a he's a card shark and a, and a grifter. Yeah. And she was saying it's empowering. It's empowering to just help yourself to a little something. Just get away with helping yourself to a, for a yeah. freebie. And that's part of it. It's part of the power trip, isn't it? Of being probably being a celebrity, but there's a very you know you, you walk in a very different line, aren't you? A very you walk in a very different tightrope when what you are doing is manipulating human beings. Yeah, and they didn't seem to give a, a second thought that this could come back and haunt them at some point. You know That's... that these kids will grow up. One of the things that prompted Rolf Harris's arrest was. One of the victims who just saw him, you know, just laughing and joking on TV and meeting mm. the Queen and all this. And I know this is the guy that's ruined their life. And she thought, well, no, you're not getting away with it now. You know, you think you're safe. You've never given me a second thought. And she went the, and reported it. This is the huge arrogance of, of them, isn't it? Of the Halls and the Harrises and the Savills thinking that they were the people that formed, maybe formed over them or maybe they'd seen uh, as just the general public didn't have it in them to go, no, I'm not going to fucking stand for this. I'm no. going to. They relied on the fact that they would feel too ashamed and too shamed to go forward and do something about it. And that's where, that's where they, you know, certainly Harris and Hall became unstuck. And once mm. some people started doing it, the, the Savile effect was that other people came forward, didn't they? about other yeah. cases. That's really what the Savile effect was. And it was it was a huge effect. It was like a tsunami of victims well, coming forward to break down this wall of celebrity. And that's yeah. what it was. It was like the sea defences of celebrity was eroded, like overnight. And we saw the reality uh, uh, behind the facade of these celebrities. Very interesting. Mm. House of Games was written by David Mamet, by the way, which is a oh, right, great yeah. writer. And it's a good little film if anyone gets a chance to see it. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, at the time, yeah, like we were saying, it was an amazing time. It seemed that every time you put on the news and me and my boss used to, if we'd found the story first, we would send the other like a text of a name. And yeah. the, game was, the game was Dead or Pedo. So you yeah. had to guess whether they'd been arrested or they'd died. So I remember names like, you know, Michael Lavelle and thinking, oh, my God, is he dead or is he a pedo? Uh, you know, William Roach. <laughs> you know, you couldn't you couldn't decide, really. You'd think Michael Lavelle, Kevin Webster, he's certainly not going to be arrested for being a pedo, but he was. He was I mean, that went on cleared. for weeks, the, the Michael Lavelle thing. Yeah. And, and the Bill Roach, I'll be honest with you, I, I wasn't surprised. I thought Bill Roach, you know, a bit of a, to a Tory again. In cahoots with fucking uh, Max Clifford. Clifford. Ugh, God, you know, fuck off. Fuck off. Horrible, bloody, backslapping, Cheshire set types. Fuck them. Yeah. But I remember getting the name uh, Mel Smith. And No. Was Mel I Smith? Have, Mel I Smith. Have to, I have to confess, I did guess pedo at that. And I'm, I don't know why, but uh, he had died. So sorry about that, Mel. Nothing came out about Mel Smith, did it? No, no, this is the, this oh, is the name of when we were playing Dead or Pedo. <laughs> I wrongly guessed Pedo and he died. <laughs> yeah, much more likely to be Griffiths Jones, mate. 
<laughs> right, I think we should uh, wrap that up now, Dave. Uh, I think we need we we maybe need to do part two on this. I think there's there's a lot yeah. more about maybe talking about how it expanded, how it's gone over to the other the US of A. Because it has been a, a you know a real change in culture. It's created a real change in the culture because we don't necessarily look at celebrity with such innocent eyes anymore, do we? You no. know, because it, it was a strange juxtaposition of our childhood. I mean, you have to just take your hat off to all the victims that came forward because they, you know, stuck to their guns. And I have the same admiration for some of the people that have come forward over the Epstein thing, mm, you know. Yeah. And nothing, nothing, uh, you know, gives me more pleasure than to see someone like that scumbag overprivileged prick Prince Andrew squirm when Emily Maitlis interviewed him. I thought that was fantastic because these incredibly entitled people, they need to be brought to book. You're not just your your, your ne'er-do-well bloody working class lad who becomes a big celebrity and and makes it, but he's a bit weird and ends up being a bit of a nonce, which is like the likes of your Jimmy Savills of this world. There's much more. We've only scratched the surface because there's this big thing called the establishment and there's lots of power in that establishment and lots of people in that establishment. And there's an awful lot of people that have gotten away with, with a lot of shit, I'm sure of it. And there's yeah. more to come. Maybe what we need yep. to do, Lee, is look at that. Go further down the rabbit hole and look yeah. at some of these cases and some of the people that have not been convicted or have died. But the rumour mill well, is we, still Well, we probably there. need to cover Brian Harvey's uh, valiant attempts to take down the... <laughs> Pedophilia within the establishment. Oh, fabulous! <laughs> and then and take it to this incredible length with the um, the Americans and Pizzagate, of course. You know, yeah. Where in the deep dungeons of the pizza pizza establishment, there in the basement, they would be abusing these children. The pizza place that, of course, doesn't have a basement. <laughs> you know, no. no basement exists, and these incredible stories get more and more elaborate. But yeah, so like you say, Dave, we might revisit this subject. I'll have yes. to think of some music to play out to. <laughs> I don't know what would be appropriate. You can do it. Jim will fix it for you. And you and you and you. Goodbye. Now then. <laughs>